0: A number of years ago, the late Dale Carnegie, who was known for his leadership and communication courses, in fact, some of you may have taken a Dale Carnegie course in your job or business at one time, was on a radio show, and the interviewer asked Carnegie to address this question in three sentences, what is the most important lesson you've learned in life? It's a pretty good question. Carnegie's answer was this said, so the most important lesson I've ever learned is the stupendous importance of what we think. If I knew what you were thinking, I would know what you are, for your thoughts make you what you are. By changing your thoughts, you can change your lives. You know, that's a pretty good answer. In fact, it has a biblical basis to it. But as I was reading that one time, I thought, although that's good, Paul was able to trump Peel and do it in one sentence. He said, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Having the attitude of Christ or the mind of Christ is really the most important lesson that we can learn in life. It is the most important pursuit in our lives and the most important practice in our lives. And so tonight, I want us to talk about developing the attitude of Christ. If you were here this morning, you know that the elders announced our theme for 2018, and that's Becoming Like Christ. And as the elders introduced this theme, they shared with you 12 different virtues that we'd be taking from three different biblical texts for us to focus on this year. We're going to focus on one virtue a month. And next Sunday morning, we'll talk about the virtue of love and how that we can be like Christ in love and make some applications about that as we go along. But in following that, I pointed out this morning that there are four areas in which we want to make application in our attitude, in our relationships, in ministry, and in holiness. And when we look at the life of Christ and we see his attitude, the way he treated people, his involvement in serving and ministering to others, and his holiness of life, we learn what it really means to become like Christ. But I want to begin by talking about attitude because really our attitude is the most basic thing about any of us. And so tonight let's think about that and think about what does it mean to have the attitude of Christ. And so to begin with, let's just define and talk about the usage Of the word attitude to define attitude means to entertain or to have a sentiment or an opinion by implication to be mentally disposed in a certain direction Vine says it means to have an understanding to be wise to feel to think to direct one's mind to a thing or to seek or to strive for something the new king james uses the word mind in philippians 2 5 let this mind be in you which was in christ jesus The NIV uses that your attitude or your attitude should be the same of Christ Jesus. And the New American Standard Update says have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. The Greek word that is translated either mind or attitude is translated in Romans 14, verse 6 is regard or observe. In Romans 12, verse 3, it is translated think. And then in Colossians 3.1, it is translated, depending on your version you're using, as affection, mind, thoughts, or heart. And so to have the attitude of Christ is to think like Christ. It is to have the mind of Christ. It is to feel as He felt. It is to act as He acted. It is to be like Him. And it is to allow our being to grow out of our relationship with him. And so then, as we think about this passage in 2 Corinthians 5 17, that we're to become a new creation or new creature, what this means is that those who become Christians become new persons, a new person spiritually. They're not the same anymore because the old life is gone and a new life has begun. And so, let's think a little bit about the substance of this. You see, to become like Christ, we must develop the attitude of Christ. And so this whole theme of 2018 is really an exercise in futility if we don't begin with the right attitude. And if we don't look at these virtues and values that we talk about as things that we need to develop in our thinking and internally in our attitudes. That it's not enough for us just to externally try to demonstrate some of these sayings. The point of this is they must come from within us. They must be who we are. It must be the way that we think, the way we feel. It must be our disposition or attitude. So to become like Christ, we must develop the attitude of Christ. Now, what is the substance of Christ's attitude? When you use the word substance, you think about something that is the core of something, the essence of something. It is the heart of who Jesus is. It is the sum total of his character. It speaks of the fiber of his being. Well, in the Philippians passage again, we get that. I want to read this again, beginning in verse 5, down through verse 11. He said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and has given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There are five things that I see in this text that speak to the substance of Jesus' attitude. One, we see that Jesus was submissive. We see this in verses 5 and 6. You recall that in the gospel accounts, that Jesus said, pray to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. And so Jesus' attitude was not a stubborn attitude, but it was an attitude of surrender. It was a submissive attitude. He knew the purpose of God for his life, and Jesus was submissive to that. And so the measure of our submission is determined by how closely we align ourselves to the thinking of Jesus. And so are we aligned to his thinking, in his attitude, of his mind if we are, we're going to be submissive. And then it has to do with selflessness. He had a selfless attitude, verse 7. Jesus was not a self-exalting person, but rather he was a self-abasing person. Now, there's an expression I heard when I lived in Tennessee. I don't know if it's in, here in Texas or not. But you'd hear the older people sometimes say about someone, said, they're really full of themselves. Now, maybe you've heard that expression before, but uh, I've heard that in the South, especially when we live in the sea. They're really full of themselves. And when a, when a person says that about someone, they're talking about someone that is a self-exalting person, a prideful person, an arrogant person. They're certainly not a selfless person. Well, you can't be full of yourself and have the attitude of Christ. Now, here is the incredible irony about this, that Jesus was the fullness of deity in bodily form. You know, as we do our study this quarter in the life of Christ, and we've already talked about the humanity and the deity of Jesus and how that God sent him to this earth to take upon flesh, humanity, and yet he was still at the same time deity. Think about Jesus being the fullness of deity in bodily form, but he wasn't full of himself. Now, that's quite a paradox in my mind. And it's quite an example for us to set. And so, you know, sometimes when I get to think about how great I am or what I've accomplished or how successful that I might be in life in some area, maybe it's good to think about the Son of God and to think about who He was. The Creator came to this earth. And as Paul talked about here, He not only took the form of a man, but He took the form of a bondservant, which leads us to the third point and that was his attitude was servile. The Savior's life was one of service. He said that he came not to be served, but to serve. And so saints that are seeking to acquire the attitude of Christ must imbibe this quality. And this is one of the things we're we'll going to be talking about as we go through this year, and we, we talk about these four applications I mentioned this morning of ministry, Now, how in the world can we become like Christ If we're not willing to serve, if we're not willing to minister, if we are the kind of people that think that we ought to be served all the time instead of the one that is serving. The substance of his attitude was submissive, it was selfless, it was servile, and it was sacrificial, that he was willing to pay the price regardless of the cost. And as we know, his sacrifice was the ultimate in sacrifice as he died upon the cross so he calls upon us to be a living sacrifice. Paul would write about that in Romans 12, that we're to give our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. Now, I can sum up these four qualities that I read here in Philippians, the second chapter, with one word, spiritual. The attitude of Christ was spiritual. Everything in this text has to do with a focus on the spirit instead of the flesh, on the spiritual instead of the material, on the heavenly instead of the earthly. You and I will never acquire the mind of Christ without a spiritual focus. And so as we begin to kind of get our mind wrapped around this theme, becoming like Christ and we think about those virtues from the, from the fruit of the Spirit and from Peter's passage and James' passage and, and all of those qualities there, let's realize that it begins internally, that it begins with our thinking, and it begins with our attitude. So let's look at some attributes of this attitude. I want to begin by talking about it is a, an attitude that is alive. You say, well, yeah, we're alive. Well, I'm talking about a certain kind of being alive. Romans 8 and verse 6. Paul said, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I'm talking about being alive spiritually. You see, without Christ, actually, we are dead spiritually. In Ephesians 2 and verse 5, Paul talked about them when they were dead in trespasses, how he made us alive together with Christ. And says, by grace, you have been saved. And so if we are really seeking to become like Christ, we are alive. We are alive spiritually. Now, you know sometimes people come to me and they they talk to me about some spiritual problem in their life and 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 they will talk about it in terms of just not really feeling the passion. They just not they're just not really feeling the excitement of Christianity. Well, Mike can you really ask yourself if you're really living with Christ, if you're alive with Christ, or if you're alive spiritually? have you allowed yourself to become dormant and even dead, spiritually, going back to your former life? when we're seeking to become like Christ, we are alive with Christ. We have a different attitude towards sin. We're not one to dabble in sin or wink at sin. The fine line and get as close to it as we possibly can. See, an attitude that chooses to be spiritually alive chooses godliness and righteousness over those things that are fleshly and material. It is not possible to come like Christ without being alive with Christ. Jesus says, My purpose in John 10:10 10, 10, is to give life in all of its fullness. A second attribute of his attitude is. Is peaceful. We go back to this passage in Romans 8, 6. To be carnally minded uh, is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And so to be spiritually minded, to have the attitude of Christ, has to do with peace. Now, peace, we a lot of times think of peace as the absence of warfare. And so if we're not at war, we say, well, we're at peace. That's not really the way the word... The way the Bible used the word peace. The word peace has the idea of tranquility, of, of mind and heart, of soul. That we are seeking to be in a peaceful, tranquil relationship with the Lord. In, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 5, going back a verse, he says, For those who live according to flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to spirit, the things of the Spirit. And so those seeking to have the mind of Christ and to be at peace with Him are seeking those kinds of things. When I look at Jesus, and we, and we get into our study this quarter of the life of Christ, one of the things we're going to see very quickly is Jesus was at peace with who He was, even when others were not. Even when those that were His closest questioned even when those that turned away that had been following him didn't follow him any longer. In fact, John 7, 5, it says, even his own fleshly brothers did not believe in him. Can you wrap your mind around that? The, I mean, they, they grew up with Jesus. They saw Jesus. They saw the kind of life he lived. They already have witnessed the miracles of Jesus, and yet their faith is not in, in him. Jesus was undeterred by that. He was at peace with himself because he knew who he was. He knew why he came to this earth and he knew where he was going even when others doubted or when others failed him. And so then Jesus could offer peace to us. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled and neither let it be afraid. And so when we have this peace, it's the kind of peace that Paul talked about in Philippians chapter 4. It is the peace of God that surpasses understanding. Now, I don't guess I can really explain that if it surpasses understanding, you suppose. <laughs> have you ever been in a situation that by all account that you ought to be fretful and stressed and anxious as you deal with something and yet you find yourself very much at peace and a calm in dealing with that. I think when you can reach that point, then you say, hey, I'm becoming like Christ in that, and I'm tapping in to that kind of peace. The attitude of Christ can help us be free from worry and strife and conflict and to be able to deal with the challenges that come along in life. Another attribute of his attitude is that Jesus was focused. I, I think it is so easy for us in this day and age to get our spiritual eyes out of focus. There's a lot to distract us. Now, some of us, maybe as we get a little bit older, get more distracted than at other times in our lives. Have you ever walked into a room and forgot why you went in that room? Okay, some of you are grinning they're not as old I time, so I guess it's not age, okay? That anybody can do, you can lose focus of something that you can forget what what you were trying. You ever, I, I tell you something that happens, I bet this happens to all of us, young or old, that you, you're going to look up something on the internet, some question or something, and you get on there, and so depending on, you know, what your homepage is, and mine is Yahoo, Yahoo always has these interesting news feeds. And so I go in there, and maybe... I'm going on to look up something for a sermon or a blog I'm doing or a Bible study, and I'm wanting to research something. And I go on the Internet, and the Yahoo page comes up, and now I get distracted because I click. Well, that's interesting. And I click that, and I start reading it. Of course, they always have links within the article. And I click that, and 10 minutes later, I think, now what did I get on here for? I see some of you relate to that. You have been there and done that. Well, I suppose in one way, that if that's the worst thing that happens to us in life, that's not too bad, assuming that we don't allow ourselves to go down links that we shouldn't be going down that have, have something bad to them. But I'm just saying that it is easy and all the distractions and all the technology and everything about us to lose focus. Now, what happens to us when we take our eyes off of Jesus spiritually? When we allow the lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes and the pride of life. When we allow friends that are not godly. Friends that want to lead us to do something, be involved in something that we ought not to be involved in. And we can't get to looking at them instead of looking at what Jesus wants. We lose focus. In 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3, Paul was concerned about the Corinthians. He said, but I'm afraid that as a serpent deceived thee by his craftiness, that your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. That's always been a challenge, even before technology, even before Al Gore invented the Internet. That that was a problem back in the first century. The devil deceived Eve in the very beginning, and the devil is going to try to deceive us and to lead our minds away from the simplicity in Christ. Distractions will cause us Lose our focus. Jesus' life was one of focus. His life was one of single-mindedness. You remember when Peter tried to intervene and he couldn't see Jesus' message? And in Matthew 16, he said, You, he said to Peter, he said, You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, you ever have that problem? That you become mindful of the things of men instead of the things of God. In Luke 9:51, it says that Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. Now, that expression is, is, is an idiom. as it's translated into English. He set his face. You know, we sometimes talk about someone's jaw set. What do we mean by that? You set your face or you set your jaw. You're determined. You're, you're resolute. You're, you're not going to be deterred. You're, you're unwavering. You have a definite aim and course and purpose. You are focused. And then certainly one of the attributes of Jesus' attitude was humility. Jesus was humble. Back in the Philippians 2 text in verses 3 and 4, he says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. My, don't we live in a time where there's a lot of competition? In fact, is it the whole American way of life, a lot of times, built on competition? Now, there's some aspects of that are not a bad thing necessarily. But when we allow rivalry and conceit to rob us of the mind and the attitude of Christ and cause us to lose our humility and we begin to think of ourselves as more significant than other people Then we've taken it to a level that we ought not to take it that we need to step back and look at ourselves and look at our attitudes and the way that we're thinking and to realize the attitude that we need to have toward other people. Humility has to do not only with a relationship to other people, it has to do with our relationship to God. Are we humble enough to come into the presence of God and admit how much that we need him and confess our faults to him? Are we willing enough to be like Jesus, to become like Christ? No, you think about how Christ came to this world. And I humbly, as we mentioned in our Bible class this morning, that he grew up with a tree, like all Jewish boys would at that time, as a carpenter. Now, you think about how God could have brought Jesus into this world. He didn't bring him into this world, born into high estate, he didn't come as a rabbi or a lawyer or a doctor. His friends were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They, they were the common folks. That speaks to something of his attitude and his humility. And it tells me what my attitude ought to be as I interact with other people. Another attribute of his attitude was it was pure. Jesus was pure. Jesus, of course, we know was sinless, but he was pure in his attitude. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 15, Paul wrote to him, he said, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. Now, do any of you all ever work, have worked, or do work with someone like that? That to the defiled, everything is impure? That no matter what you say, they can take some phrase or some word and twist it to mean something dirty or unkind or uncouth or vulgar? That it becomes the double entendre? Any of your young people go to school with any kids like that? That it just seems like that everything that comes out of their mouth and every focus they have is impure? You know, you've been on break here for a couple of weeks. Hadn't it been nice? I hope. I hope it's been nice. I hope it's been nice maybe to be away from some situations sometimes where you find yourselves, those of you are in public schools, with a lot of secular kids, they're in situations that you're not around that so much. It's a tough thing. You know, as a preacher, I'm very blessed to work with the most wonderful people in the world. And I don't, I don't run into that quite so much. There is even, to some degree, though they're not, it's not what I was 50 years ago, some degree, the people in the world even respect a person that's a preacher. Uh, and they're not going to tell you a dirty joke. Uh, or something like that. Although I did go visit someone one time and they offered me a beer. and it Kind of took me back a little bit that they would, but uh, anyway. But most people, even even the world, will respect that. So I'm, I'm blessed that I'm not putting up with stuff like that. But some of you, every day of your life, you got to work around people that are impure. It's a challenge to be like Christ, isn't it? To be pure, When people around you are defiled, Jesus was holy and harmless and undefiled to the point of sinlessness. We will never be that pure to be sinless, but we can develop a pure mindset, an attitude that sees things as pure. And when our senses are assaulted by that which is impure, then we can work to remove that impurity, put a tourniquet around that. You know, while we may have to be around some people at work or at school in some situations, you know, we don't have to watch TV shows that are impure, and we don't have to go to movies that are ungodly, and we don't have to read books that lead us into coarse, vulgar thinking. We don't have to get on Internet websites that lead us to impurity or engage in things on our cell phones or Facebook pages. There's just a lot of application when we dig into this a little bit and talk about it. And so one of the attributes was pure. And then finally, I mentioned responsive. Jesus was responsive to his father. He was responsive to the word of God. We already noticed this morning when he was tempted, what did Jesus say? It is written. Jesus was responsive to the word. And he allowed the word, direct him. He was responsive to spiritual guidance. Responsiveness involves a sensitivity. A sensitivity to the things that are spiritual. Jesus in John 8 said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of Myself. And as the Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. For I'll always do those things that please him. That is a spiritual response. And so as we think about becoming like Christ, it has a component to it of responding to his will and to the Father's will. And that we allow ourselves to be directed, that we're doing nothing of ourselves, as Paul put it in Philippians four 13, thirteen, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. That I'm doing it through Him, and I'm doing it through His power and His direction. You remember in Luke chapter twenty four after the resurrection, and Jesus was walking with the two men on the road to Emmaus that at first didn't recognize Him. And there's a neat statement here in Luke twenty four forty five. It says, "Then He opened their minds to understand the Scripture." See, Jesus constantly was responsive from a spiritual standpoint and he sought to help other people be responsive as well. And if we're to become like Christ, we need to be responsive. Our theme this year, Becoming Like Christ. But it must begin by developing the attitude of Christ. Back in the early 90s through about, uh, I guess, the year 2002. Uh, we lived in Middle Tennessee, just south of Nashville. And while we lived there, there was a fella by the name of Jimmy Moore um, who was very well known for participating in the annual Music City Triathlon. Now, a triathlon, if you're not familiar, is a 1K swim, a 40K bike ride, And a 10K run. I mean, that makes me tired just thinking about it. The year that we moved there in uh, 91 was Jimmy's fifth year of running this triathlon. Now, what was the big deal about it? It was always a big deal in the Nashville, Tennessee, and every year that he ran. And I found out the big deal. The big deal was in 1985, Jimmy Moore was a dying man. He had a bad heart. And the doctor said he he was terminal. There was no way that he was going to make it. There wasn't any future. But then he got his chance at life again. And a skilled surgeon at Vanderbilt University Hospital performed a heart transplant on Jimmy Moore. Eighteen months later, he participated in the first triathlon and did it for a number of years after that jay groves was the coordinator at vanderbilt's cardiac rehab program and he ran and cycled with jimmy and the man who had had a heart transplant that was on the verge of death came across the finish line with tears in his eyes and on his t-shirt were these words i've had a change of heart it be great if we could have a heart transplant spiritually speaking have a change of heart you're sentenced to death you're dead spiritually you're not alive to God but you've had a change of heart you got a new lease on life you can I don't, I don't wherever you are tonight whatever situation you're in whatever you're struggling with or dealing with you can have a change of heart Become like Christ. Become like Christ. And you can have a change of heart. And you can have the heart of Jesus. You know, it could be that there are some of us here, and I know we've got a good Sunday night crowd tonight. And, you know, we feel good about coming back for the evening service. And most of you will be back here Wednesday night. But I, I know in the many years I've been preaching, I know people. And I know there's very possibly some that don't feel real good where you've been in the past year or maybe the past two or 3 years. There's never been a better time to change your direction of life than right now. And you can. We're going to provide the tools and the resources and the lessons and the curriculum and the sermons and the encouragement that you need this year to become I hope we can join together and help each other to move in the direction we all know we need to move in, or we surely wouldn't be back tonight, would we? We know we need to be there. And march and lockstep together to make a difference and to help each other become like Christ. May God bless us at that end. As we close tonight, we offer the invitation to Christ. It's the roll roll called up yonder is your song, isn't it, Braden. By the way, you did nice job of leading tonight, good selection of songs. There is going to be a roll called up yonder one day, isn't there? And what are we going to hear? See, if we work to become like Christ and we are in Christ and serving Christ, our name is going to be on the roll. We're going to be glad to hear it when that day comes. But my friend, if your name is not on the roll, that's not going to be a very happy day. And so I don't know what you need to do tonight to get it right. If you need to be baptized into Christ or need to change some things, whatever it is, get it right. So when a roll is called up yonder, you will be there. And we'll be there together. Can we help you? Would you come as we stand and sing? The trumpet of the Lord shall have the time shall be no more and the Lord be grace eternal right.